If you have your Bible today, open it, please, to the book of Acts, chapter number two. We're going to begin there today, but we won't stay there very long. We'll look at some other scripture passages. I want to talk to you this morning about how to forgive your enemies and how to live a life free from bitterness. It's interesting, as I was preparing for this sermon, I read about another preacher who was preaching on the same subject in his church, and he preached for about a half an hour, and at the end, he said, now, everybody here who would be willing to forgive your enemies, please raise your hand. And about 50% of the people raised their hand. He said, no, that's not good enough. We've got to have more. He preached about 20 more minutes. He said, now, everybody who would be willing to forgive your enemies, raise your hand. About 80% of the people raised their hand. He said, nope, got to have more. Preached about 20 minutes more. How many of you would be willing to forgive your enemies? Well, by this time, everybody's just wanting to go to lunch, right? So they just raised their hand. And yeah, we'll forgive our enemies. But there was one lady on the back row. She didn't raise her hand. And the pastor looked at her. He knew her. He said, now, Miss Jones, how is it that you're not raising your hand? Why won't you forgive your enemies? She said, preacher, I don't have any enemies. And he said, you tell me and you tell this whole church, how could you be 103 years old and not have any enemies? She said, I've outlived them all. And so I thought, well, that may be one way to do it. But unless we're going to live to be 103, we're going to have to learn how not only to forgive our enemies, but we're going to have to learn how to deal with circumstances that are difficult and painful and hard. And we just want to have a heart free from bitterness. Now, last week we talked about this. So I've already done a sermon on this subject. And I got a few, you know, during the week, some texts or emails or whatever. John, that's just what I needed. Well, on Wednesday of this week, I had, by, on Monday of last week, I had already written a new sermon for today. And I'm home on Wednesday and I got a text message from a lady in our church. I've known her and her husband for a long, long time. And she said, John, I just want to tell you that sermon last week is exactly what I needed to hear on bitterness. And she began to share some of the stuff that she's going through in her life. And she said, that is, she said, I'm really struggling. And that is exactly what I needed to hear. And so when I read that text, it was like in my mind, I had a visual of a cloud and the cloud, it was just like, I felt like God say to me, stay on this subject for a little bit longer, maybe one or two more sermons on this idea of unforgiveness and holding a grudge and being bitter and being angry. And just like, you know, in Bible times when God was leading the people out of one location into another location, the cloud would move and they would just follow the cloud. And wherever the cloud was, that's where the people were. And then when the cloud stopped, God said, when the, when the cloud stops moving, you just stay under the cloud. So the important thing was not whether the cloud was here, there, or there, over there. The important thing was that the people were under the cloud. And so as much as I can discern the Holy Spirit's voice and leading, I feel like this is the message that he wants us to be thinking about today. And in a couple of weeks more, we'll think about it again. But let's begin in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I'll show you why this is so very important. The scripture says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, that's talking about these early disciples, were all with one accord in one place. Most of the translations say they were all together in one place. We talked about this last week. They were together, together. Not only were they together physically in the same place, like today, we're all in the same place. We're together physically. But they were together in their hearts. In other words, there was no 
resentment. There was no bitterness. There was no unforgiveness. There was no anger. There was no bitterness amongst this early group of disciples. And if any group could have been bitter towards each other, it would have been this group of people because all kind of things had happened. We talked some about that last week and yet their hearts were just filled. Now in verse number one, these disciples did not know. They had no way of knowing that they were one verse away from Pentecost. They were one verse away from the Holy Spirit coming upon them and filling them and enabling them to speak in languages they had never learned. They had no way of knowing that. They were one verse away from the birth of what we know as the church, that they were just a few verses away of 3,000 people being saved and baptized. They had no way of knowing that, but they were in this upper room. They were together physically, but they were together in their hearts. Now, I I firmly believe that had they not been right in their hearts in verse one, they would have missed what God had planned for them in verse two. Look at verse two. And suddenly, this was gonna be my sermon today, suddenly how God moves in our lives, suddenly, not always soon, not always immediate, but when it happens, it's quick and it's sudden. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And so in verse two, the Holy Spirit came and they're filled and all these miracles are taking place. The church is born. But before that happened, in verse one, they're together, together. They're in the same room, but their hearts are right with one another. And so today, I'm, I'm, I just want to ask you at the beginning, do you feel like your heart is right with every, not just in the room, but I'm talking about everybody on the planet, everybody in the world, or is there some resentment and maybe a grudge or maybe some ill will or maybe some bad feelings? Now, we're thinking about bitterness, but maybe we should begin today by just giving a definition for what bitterness is. And here's how Webster's Dictionary defines it. Bitterness is a condition of the heart characterized by strong feelings of hatred, resentment, and cynicism. Strong feelings of hatred. You could add the word anger. You could say grudge. You could add a lot of words to that. But I think we get the idea. And the problem is when this, ha- when this begins to happen in our hearts over somebody has done something or so- somebody has said something. In fact, in our next sermon, we're going to talk more about when a person has done something to you. How can you forgive that person? How can you release that? How can you be free from that type of bitterness? Today, the focus is a little bit on that, but it's more more on when life itself has dealt you a blow. Something has happened in life and it's not fair. It's just painful and it is so hard. How do you keep from being bitter when something like that happens? Well, it is very important. And the first reason it's important is because bitterness blocks the flow of the Holy Spirit. You remember last week I I said, it's like a water hose. You're out in your yard and you're watering and And all of a sudden, there's no water coming out of the hose. And you look back and 20 feet up the line, there's a kink in the hose. And you go back and you undo the kink. And now the water's coming out. Remember I said that last week? Do you remember? At least play like you remember when I said that last week. So I won't be bitter at you for forgetting what I said. Well, that's what happens in our heart. Sometimes something happens and we don't deal with it right. And we 
get bitter and angry and there's a grudge. And what it does, it blocks the flow of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Now turn to the right, just uh, several books, to Ephesians chapter number four. Because Paul is developing this idea of bitterness here. And he's talking about how bitterness can block the flow of the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying to those Christians living in Ephesus, it's not worth it. It's not worth what it's doing in your life. You're, you're, it, it, it is almost like you're tying the hands of God. You're preventing what God can do in your life. Ephesians chapter four and verse number 30. Notice what he says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That word grieve literally means to make sad, to hurt, to cause pain. Remember when you were saved, the Spirit of God came to live on the inside of you. He is a person. Just like Jesus is a person, the Holy Spirit is a person. And so we have this relationship with the Holy Spirit. And yet God is saying to us, there are certain things that you can do that will make him sad, that will grieve him, and that will cause him pain. You say, well, what would those things be? Well, look at the very next verse. He tells us, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So the first thing on the list of things that can grieve the Holy Spirit is bitterness. And he's saying, you're gonna have to deal with these negative feelings that you have. And in verse 32, he tells us how. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. So Paul says, just like God forgave you of all your sins, that's what you've got to do with the people in your life who have hurt you, who have sinned against you, who have offended you, who have done something that rubbed you the wrong way. You have no opportunity to forgive them. What Paul is saying here is don't view them as your enemy. View them as an opportunity. It is an opportunity to extend to them the same unconditional love and forgiveness that God has extended to you. So bitterness, first of all, it blocks the flow of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you something else bitterness does. Bitterness negatively affects our prayers. It hinders our prayers. Now, when you go out today at the end of the service, on the commons, in the commons, there are all kinds of tables out there. And we have a new booklet that I'm so excited about that we worked on this summer called What to Pray for Those We Love. In fact, I'd like to at some point come back and preach a whole sermon on this, but not today. But it's a good booklet about, you know, we all want to pray for our family and friends. And sometimes we don't know exactly what to pray. Well, this book tells us specifically what we can pray for our family and friends. I deal with what we can pray for our country. It's a good book. But I want to just read you one paragraph that I put in here that I think illustrates how important it is when we go to pray that our heart is right with God. I say this, at the beginning of my prayer time, I ask God to forgive me of my sins. The psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So if I have sin, when I go to pray for my family, for my church, for my friends, for myself, for the country, I go to pray. But if I have bitterness in my heart, what does it say? If I have iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now, that's not how, we don't even think of God that way. We think, what do you mean God wouldn't hear? God would always hear me when I pray. Not if you've got sin in your heart. I'm not talking about sins you've confessed and been forgiven of. Paul, or, uh, David here is talking about sins that are ongoing, that you've not dealt with. And he says, if you have that, God's not gonna hear your prayers. I recognize that what I need first and foremost is the daily forgiveness of my sins. 
And so I always begin my prayer time there, and I'm sure you do too. But if we have bitterness, it, it impedes the effectiveness, it limits the effectiveness of our prayers. And I'll tell you something else bitterness does. This is an interesting thought. Bitterness blinds us. Bitterness is one of those sins we can have and not even know we have it. Whereas other sins, if you go out and commit certain sins, you know you sin. Like, for example, extreme example. I know nobody did this, but let's just use the extreme example. Let's just play like that somebody went out last night and committed adultery. Well, when you woke up this morning, you knew you sinned, right? I mean, you know that was wrong. You, there's no question about it. If you have, uh, even if you're not a Christian, I mean, you, your conscience just says, this is not right. I know this was wrong. So a sin like that or an immoral sin when a person commits that, they just know it immediately. Or maybe last week you were in a business deal and you kind of twisted the truth and you did some things a little bit uh, questionable and, and you cheated somebody out of fifty or $60,000. Well, you know, that was a, you know that's wrong. I mean, in your heart, you know that's wrong. But see, bitterness is different from those sins because when we're bitter, what, what we say to ourselves is, yeah, I, I don't have great feelings toward him or I don't have great feelings toward her or toward them, but let me tell you what they did. And then when we explain to ourselves what they did, it's like we're justifying our feelings. Now, I'm not saying what they did was, was right. In fact, if it hurt you, it was wrong. But many times we say, because of what they did, that means that I have the right to be angry and hate them and hold all this. No, just because they did that, that doesn't excuse, but, but that's what I'm saying. That's what bitterness is. It is a blinding sin and it is something that can happen to us without us even knowing. You say, well, John, what would cause this? I mean, what, what is the cause of, and I think everybody here, even this early in the sermon is able to say, well, I, I've, I've felt some of it. I know what, I'm, I'm identifying with this. I have, I have struggled with this. Some may be struggling with it now. What is it that causes bitterness? Well, look at this, because I think this says it. Bitterness is caused by something that we perceive to be unfair, unjust, or dishonest. I mean, that's the whole reason we're bitter, is we, we look at a situation and we say, this isn't right. And that part of our analysis is right. The situation isn't right. But that doesn't excuse us to respond in the wrong way. And so we have to respond in the right way. Now, all that said, if you'll turn back to the Old Testament book of Jonah, of all places, I want us to see, and we're gonna look at this a little bit today and a little bit of this when we do our next sermon on bitterness. But I want us just to see that nobody is exempted or immune from having these bitter feelings. And we're talking now not just about what somebody's done, although that's part of it, but we're talking about when something happens in life and we say, this isn't right, this isn't fair, this should not have happened. Now, Jonah, if anybody loved God, it was Jonah. He was a prophet of God. He lived in Israel. He was a devout Jew. He loved God, he loved the word of God, he loved the people of God. And one day God came to Jonah, in fact, in chapter number one, in verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So God is speaking to Jonah. And in verse two, he says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So God, here's what God told Jonah to do. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Where was Nineveh? Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians were wicked, wicked, wicked people. But God was telling Jonah to go there and to tell all those people 
If they would confess their sins and repent of their sins and turn from their sins, that God would forgive them and that God would not judge them. So you would think that a prophet of God would say, yes, sir, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go to Nineveh. But look in verse three. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. He didn't go to Nineveh. He went in the opposite direction. He, and he went from the presence of the Lord. So now he has disobeyed God. Why? Because of his bitterness, because he didn't like the Assyrians and he didn't want God to forgive them. We have to understand that in Bible times, the Assyrians were the most wicked people imaginable. In fact, I was just refreshing my memory even between services today about the brutality and the cruelty of the Assyrians. When the Assyrians would capture their enemies, you know, we read about sometimes people being tortured. Well, they, they took torture to another level. Before they would behead and kill people, many times they would cut their arms off they would cut their legs off. They were known for amputations. They would cut people's ears off. They would gouge their prisoners' eyes out. Now, I read something I never had read until just now. When, when the Assyrians sometimes would, would try to would torture people, they would cut people's tongues out of their mouth. I mean, it was cruel and brutal. And the Assyrians had done all of these things to the Jews. And so Jonah had grown up hearing about how his ancestors, his grandparents and great-grandparents had been mistreated by the Assyrians. And he was raised to hate the Assyrians. And now God is telling him, go to Assyria and tell the people there that I love them and that I'll forgive them. And that just rubbed Jonah the wrong way. He thought, no, that's not right. They need judgment. And he had that indignation in him, but he went from the presence of the Lord. And then we know the, sto the story. They got in a bad storm out at sea and Jonah said, it's my fault. God told me to do something. I disobeyed. If you'll throw me overboard, the sea will calm down. They said, Jonah, we don't want to throw you over. He said, I'm telling you, if you don't throw me, it got so bad, they picked him up. They threw him overboard. The sea calmed down. He was swallowed by a great fish. We know the story. Three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. Then the fish spit him out on the land. Look in chapter three and verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Aren't we thankful that ours is a God of second chances? and third, and fourth, and fifth, and sixth chances. And God gave Jonah here a second chance. But on the second chance, God didn't change what he told him the first time. Look in verse two. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So God says to Jonah, I, I want you in Nineveh preaching to them that I love them, that I'll forgive them. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And he got there, and he began to preach. And he told those Assyrians, listen, the God of heaven loves you and he will forgive all your sins if you'll confess those sins and turn from those sins. But you need to understand, God is giving you 40 days to repent. This open window and opportunity won't last forever. In fact, if you look at the end of verse four, that's what he said. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He gave him a 40 day window to get right with God. And in verse five, the people of Nineveh believed God proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the least of them to the greatest. And uh, so they repented and God forgave them. You look in verse number 10 of chapter three. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. So God forgave all the people living in, in Assyria. In fact, if you've not done it lately, I did it last night. It took about 15 or 20 minutes. Jonah's a short book. You ought to just read these four chapters. 
And the impression we get by reading this is when Jonah got finished preaching this sermon, the entire city of Nineveh got saved. Everybody who had reached the age of accountability got saved. And so you would think that Jonah would be thinking, man, this is awesome. The whole place got saved. I mean, we get excited around here when five or six or eight or 10 people get saved. Jonah had the whole town get saved. And so when we come to chapter four, you would expect it to say Jonah was thanking and praising God for the great decision, the great revival. But look in chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. In my Bible, I have that word it underlined. What was it? That, what is the it? The it was he didn't like what had happened. He wanted these people to be judged and not to be forgiven. And it displeased him very much. And he has this bitterness and this anger. And instead of loving them the way God loved him and the way God loved them, he wanted God to judge them. And so we're going to think again more the next time we're together about forgiving the person who has hurt us and how we can be free from that. But today we're thinking more about the, a life circumstance. What do you do in a circumstance in life when something has happened and I know between the services this morning, I'm in the family room, this lady comes in there, she said, I'm so glad that I was here today. She began telling me everything she's gone through in her life, and it's heartbreaking. And she said, John, this is exactly what I needed to know what to do when circumstances in life are not fair, and, and, it's, and it's hard, and it's painful, and it's not right. How can we prevent those circumstances from making us bitter and angry, and sometimes even angry at God for what God has allowed into our lives. Well, that's what I've been thinking about. Lord, how do I articulate what we can do when a family member dies, when we lose a job, when there's a cancer diagnosis, when something happens and it's just not right and, it's, and you know it's not right, but you don't want it to make you bitter and there's not really anybody to forgive because it's not that somebody necessarily did that to you. It's just like, it's something that happened. And so I've been thinking, and even yesterday I was thinking, and I think God gave me the, the way to say this. As I have said and continue to say, I'm so incredibly proud of our student ministry. And we have so many different schools represented in the ministry. I'm curious today, how many of our students are from Deer Park schools? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of our students are from Laporte schools? Raise your hand. All right, we got to get. Hey, brother, we got it. We we counting on you there in Laporte to help us out. <laughs> how many do we have from Clear Lake or Clear Creek schools today? All right, we got to. Okay, how many do we have today from First Baptist Christian Academy? How many? There you go. Look at there. There you go. How many do we have from Pasadena schools today? All right. How many do we have that I've not mentioned where you go to school today? Just raise your hand. All right. Well. I'm, I'm so excited seeing what's happening in this student ministry because I'll tell you why. What's happening in this student ministry is healthy. What we have here, and this is another sermon for another day, but what we have here is a group of students who not only love God and love each other, but a group of students who are very connected to this church. And I want you guys to know, and I'm not just saying this, your presence in these services means so much to, to us and to this church. Your presence here is absolutely amazing. So I've tried to keep up with you guys a little bit and know what's going on. And I know a lot of you play sports and you're involved in different activities. And I know in the last couple of weeks, three or four weeks, we've had two of our students who have been playing football 
and they have suffered a broken bone. And so I've been curious as to how these kids are going to respond when they go through something like that. Well, one of them is my nephew. He's in the sixth grade, so he's just starting out in the student ministry, and he has been the quarterback for the sixth grade team here at First Baptist Christian Academy. And I went and watched him play his first game. He just, he just did great. And on the second game, he was doing well, except he got tackled, and then he, some guys got him, and bottom line is he broke his collarbone, left collarbone just broke. So they take him to the emergency room, take him to the doctor, do the x-rays. The doctor said, it's going to take six weeks for this bone to heal before you can play again. Well, somehow my nephew didn't hear that right, and he got it in his mind that his collarbone would heal in two weeks. And he's telling everybody, I'm, I can heal quicker than that. I don't need the full six weeks. I can heal in two weeks. Well, it turned out it is going to be the full six weeks, but he's been handling it real well. First couple of days, I think he was kind of depressed about that, but my interactions with him, he'd been very positive and very upbeat. And so I asked him recently, I said, buddy, how, how have you, I said, now you're only in sixth grade. So I'm not asking you to give me some deep theological answer, but when it comes to the broken bone, you're out for the season, you love football more than anybody I know. Like, how have you in your mind tried to look at this from a spiritual perspective in such a way that would enable you to, to be positive and not be bitter and negative? And he said, well, I, you know, he said, here's how I look at it. He said, there's a reason for it. I just don't know what the reason is. And I thought, you know, that's almost profound coming out of him. That, that, that's really a good answer. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. There's a re we talked on. Well, last night I called a, one of our students, um, Clayton McBride, who's a senior at Deer Park High School. He's the starting tight end. He's a fine athlete. He's already scored a touchdown for the Deer Park Deer this year. He's hoping to play college ball, and I think he has a very good chance to do that. This past Monday at practice, practice, he gets hit a weird way, and his ankle is not only broken, his ankle is shattered, ligaments, I mean, bad, bad, bad. Thursday, he had major surgery on that ankle. I mean, major, he's out for the season. I called him last night. He, I, I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm doing okay in my heart and mind. He said, but I can't walk. I can't do anything for four weeks. He said, they've given me a scooter and I'm trying to figure out how to work the scooter. He said, in fact, I'm planning on coming to church in the morning and being on the front row. Well, this morning I got a text before I left the house. He said, John, I can't figure this scooter out. I'm gonna watch it online today. I can't get this thing going. But when I was talking to him last night about all this, I said to him, I said, you know, Clayton, this is interesting. I'm preaching in the morning on bitterness and you don't seem to be bitter at all. You just seem to be certainly disappointed, but you seem to be very positive. Your faith is very strong. I said, how, did you, how are you doing this like this? He said, well, to be honest with you, for the first couple of days, I really had a hard time. You know, I had to just process this and that's certainly normal. He said, but after a couple of days of that, he said, a thought just popped into my mind and I believe this is, and I know it's true, and this is what I'm hanging my hat on, and this is what I'm put, building my faith on. He said, I just believe that what has happened to me is part of God's plan for my life. I thought, man, I got a sixth grader saying, there's a reason for it. Got a 12th grader saying, it's part of God's plan for my life. And as I'm hearing that, I thought, that's how you deal with circumstances that are not fair and not hard without becoming bitter. Now, when you, you still listen, by the way, say amen. 
when we come to church every Sunday, what, what is it that we need? We need to praise God. We need to see each other. We need to learn something from the Bible. But what we need, we need somebody to pour some truth into us so that we can in turn build our faith on that truth so that when we're out there living life and metaphorically speaking, we break a collarbone or shatter an ankle or something way worse than that happens, we know how to respond to it with a heart that's free from bitterness. And I think what my nephew and what Clayton said to me last night, those two phrases, don't you just listen to this. There's a reason for it. It's part of God's plan. There's a reason for it. There's part of, that's part of God's plan. That is the truth that I want to impart today. And I want you to just say that with me. There's a reason for it, and it's part of God's plan. Say it again. There's a reason for it. Say it again. Now, here's the question. What's the reason? I don't know. How does this work into God's plan? I don't know. But that's where faith comes in. You see, faith is when we say, God, there is a reason. I don't know the reason. God, I know this is part of your plan. I don't know how it's part of your plan. But God, what I'm going to do, instead of trying to figure all that out, I'm going to hang my hat. I'm going to build my faith on these two truths. That no matter what I'm going through in life right now, or what I have been through life in, my, in the past, you're in control. You've allowed it. God, you didn't break his collarbone or his ankle, but you allowed it to happen. So we must conclude for that. There's a reason for it. And it's part of God's plan. I encourage you this week as you get out there in the world and live your life and things happen. Let those two things come to your mind and into your heart before you respond and before you react. There's a reason for it. It's part of God's plan. For that reason, I choose to trust God that he's gonna bring good out of this. I don't have to be bitter. One of the things I was thinking last night, why would we choose to be bitter when we can make these difficult circumstances in life if we respond properly, make us better and make us closer to God? Amen? And so with our heads bowed and eyes closed today, it may be for you, you need the next sermon about a person has done something and, and that one's coming. But for today, maybe it's not so much a person, it's just it. The Bible says it displeased Jonah and there's some it in your life and it has displeased you. But how about today if you could just look at that differently? And you can say, there's a reason for it. I don't know what the reason is, but there is a reason for it. And not only that, it's part of God's plan for my life. If you could, if we could build our faith on those truths, not only would our faith be so strong and our hearts be so full of peace, but all that negativity and complaining and being down in the dumps and being depressed and all of that would just begin to kind of fall off of us. And it's like our hearts could be purged from all that. If instead of responding the wrong way, we responded the right way with faith. Would you ask God to help you do that? Would you tell God today, those of you who life circumstances have just come falling down on you, would you just say, God, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense, but I do believe you're in control and I do believe there's a reason for this. And God, I do believe 
even though this part certainly doesn't make sense, I do believe that it's part of, my, of your plan for my life. Something you've allowed. It's part of your, it has become part of your plan for my life. Not that you orchestrated it. Not that you caused it. God's not breaking people's bones. Sometimes God allows a bone to be broken. And then that can become part of God's plan for your life. Would you just tell God you trust him with that situation that is so difficult for you to stomach? And today, if it is a person who has hurt you, as I said earlier, instead of viewing that person as an enemy, how about view that person as an opportunity? An opportunity to to forgive somebody the same way God has forgiven you. To love somebody the same way God loves you. That may never change anything about the relationship, but it'll change everything about your heart. And it may change the relationship. It just depends on, on, that might be different, but it can change you and it can change your heart. Just say to God today, God, I forgive them. God, I choose by an act of my will to forgive them and to let, it, to let them off the hook to not hold a grudge. You have let me off the hook. You let Jonah off the hook. You gave him a second chance. But even after you gave him a second chance, he was still bitter towards the Assyrians. You would think after he had experienced that forgiveness, he would have cut them some slack. But we can, we can identify with Jonah. Sometimes we're just like him. Some here today, you say, John, I need this. I need this so badly. But what I need even more than this, I need to be saved. I need Jesus in my heart. We saw people saved in the first service. I pray in this service we'll see people saved. You say, John, how can I be saved? The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise from God. If you don't know today that you're saved, would you pray this prayer right now? Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. Lord, fill my heart now with faith and with love and make me the person that you want me to be.